Welcome to Friars in the Front Podcast. I'm Donovan, and right next to me is Roy. Hello, everybody. Ah, it's gonna be it's gonna be with you, man. It's gonna be here at the house. It's gonna be talking and looking at your face. I'm glad somebody likes looking at my face. You know, well, how was your Christmas? My Christmas was good. Very busy. We had all the family over here, so we had a full house. We had the the leaf pulled out in the table, and we had the the other we had the kids table over here. We had tons of sweets and. I had a giant box full of wrapping paper after all the all the the gifts that we unwrapped. It's it was a it was a fun time. It's uh, been a busy busy uh, it's been a busy couple months really. It really has for us. It's been like the world tour. Um, Christmas Eve, we drive from here to Thousand Oaks, spend a few hours with our friends Michael and Monica, um, drive back down to San Diego, wake up, go to brunch at the hotel del coronado with our family with with our friends um and then directly after that a little humble brag right there humble brag we do it every year i married up guys just believe me it's it's nice um it's great if you guys can afford it it, it's a great brunch um they do a great job there and then we drove back home from actually from the dell we drove from there to marietta spent with uh with her godsons gave them all their toys Unloaded, you know, my gas mileage shot up because we got rid of all those toys. Um, went from Marietta to we got over the grapevine on Christmas Day. We got over the grapevine just about an hour before they closed it because I remember oh. on Christmas it was just buckets and buckets of rain, right? At least yeah. heading up north, and uh, it was very, uh, very sketchy driving through the grapevine with the, with the rain and the wind. Uh, we got over there, we spent the night in like Bakersfield area, and then drove. I'm sorry. I know, right? Well, we spent the night there uh, and then drove on to Sacramento and spent like four days in Sacramento. And then uh, once again, another storm was coming in. We were going to leave on Monday, ended up leaving on Sunday so we wouldn't get stuck with uh, with the grapevine closing. You didn't have to ford a river or anything like that? No, I didn't ford a river or... Nobody but, died of dysentery? No, no. <laughs> but funny, you kind of wit- you know, kind of... Not forecasting that, but kind of looking into it, you know, the natural, the the weather service said like full tank of gas, full tank of gas, full tank of gas. And that was a tweet. Okay. Yeah. Just make sure you have plenty of gas because when you get, when they close a grapevine, like you have to turn around and go, I guess the 101. It's, there's only one freeway to get through that area and it's the 101 you go west. Okay. Or you stay at some hotel. Like, I've never had, but that's why we were like, we better get out of it here. It seems like how people get stuck, like, in Palmdale or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we did. Uh, but let's move on to some baseball talk. We have yeah. a little, we have little, bit of, uh, little bit of news here, a little bit of stuff to talk about. And then we're going to kick it to an interview. Yes, Josh Emmerich. I talked to Josh Emmerich at the winter meetings. Uh, we are still uh, – it's a great interview. He's a really good uh, – He's dir- the director of scouting for the West Coast of the Padres? Yes, Yes, and so uh, I talked to him at the winter meetings. That was really cool. And we also have a John Nolan interview to put out a little bit later on, but we can do that later on. But moving on, today, Hannah Kaiser of Yahoo Sports uh, wrote an article on MLB's idea of of fixing the sign-stealing idea. Now, I have a feeling we're going to hear a lot of different different little ideas on like technology, how they can do this. Yeah. And so one of the device in development described by league sources is a wearable random number generator. Say that five times fast. Similar to a push password used for secure logins that corresponds to which sign in a sequence is relevant. This would 
preserve the existing dynamic of a catcher putting down a sign for interpretation by the pitcher, but overlay it with a level of secure encryption that would be virtually impossible to decode even with a dedicated software program. I say just let them wear a decoder ring. Right. Alternatively, the finger system could be replaced by in-ground lights on the mound. Sources with knowledge of the idea said catchers would have access to a control pad that corresponds to a lightning uh, to a, a lighting panel visible only to the pitcher. A certain button for a certain light sequence for a certain pitch. And then, and then after the game, they have a laser show that that <laughs> shoots out from these lights in the ground. It's just ridiculous. How about just don't cheat? Well, that's that? easy to say, but you know, there's there's too much to be gained by uh, you know chicks dig the long ball. The chicks dig the long ball. Angela does. Whoa! <laughs> hey, there you go. Hot take. Also, um, this is another way of, of distraction. Like you know, there's also talk on MLB Network and MLB uh, XM where you know what is going to happen with the investigation and how that's going to really come come into play and. I think it's, it's going to be a gonna, lot lighter. It, it has to be heavy. Well, it's got to be heavy. And so I think back to what happened to the Braves, that the, the Red Sox were busted for shady international dealings and they got their hands slapped. And then like a year later, the Braves got busted for doing the same stuff the Red Sox yeah. did and worse. Yeah. So they lost all the guys that they signed. They lost a bunch of uh, the, you know, power to... They couldn't sign anybody for more than X dollars, and one guy got kicked out of baseball for life. That was a GM. I can't remember his last name. It's Napanopoulos or something like that. Yeah, it's escaping me at the moment. Banned for life. Banned for life. And so I could see them lowering a similar kind of a thing on the the Astros. So whatever, they lose some some future draft picks and some penalty, um, and some patsy winds up getting hung out to dry. It's not going to be Jeff Luno. It's not going to be AJ, uh, AJ Hinch. Hinch. It's not going to be um, freaking... Joey Cora is involved with that. Um, yeah, there's so Carlos many... Beltran. Yeah, Carlos Beltran is the one I was thinking of. So it, there was a... Carlos Correa had some quote about... Because the, um, the, the former pitcher... Mike Fires was yeah. the one that kind of blew the the lid on the thing, and he said something about like loyalty and teammates and all this. It's like, come on, you got caught cheating. What what yeah. can you say? Yeah, that so was interesting. They're gonna they're gonna lower the hammer on him a little bit, kind of to make an example of him. But the, it, it, at the same time, when I read these articles, it sounds like half the league is up to something. Yeah, and they're if you aren't cheating, you aren't trying. And I get that, but it's the, the that once you bring technology into it and you're doing it real time during the game, that's when it breaks a rule. Yeah. So if you got a camera out there and you're trying to read somebody's signs and you're going to decode it for tomorrow's game, that's one thing. So then the guy on second base knows what the what their signs are. That's above board. I mean, it's it's kind of shady, but it doesn't break the rules. Right. But as soon as you've got real-time stuff going on like that, so here comes a change-up. I mean, come on. Well, and, and with, the, with the advanced scouting that they have, with the books they have, okay, in a 2-1 in count with a guy on second, you know, pitcher A usually throws this pitch. And they go over that in the hitting meetings, and the pitchers go over it, and the, you know, they, oh, they we, know what's going to happen. We can look them up. They're on websites. Yeah. They've got these amazing graphics. It's this, this really cool little diamond tree of life of what a pitcher tends to throw and what count. And I yeah. love that stuff. I'm a very visual person. Yeah. So that's great information. Uh, but you can't be using that stuff in real time. To it, 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 it's, it's too far. Yeah, absolutely too far. But let's move on. So MLB Pipeline Jonathan Mayo wrote the article. Uh, so the MLB 
kind of the season really starts, you know, people think, oh, when spring training starts. But the, really, the, the season kind of starts when they had the Rookie Career Development Program. Now, this is the 29th year that MLB and the MLB Players Union have gotten together and created this event. It's a week-long event from Tuesday to Friday of every team sends their the players that they think are probably going to, you know, make the major leagues that year. So that's, uh, for us, it's going to be Mackenzie Gore. It's going to be Taylor Trammell, Luis Patino, uh, Edward Olivares, and then Jake Cronenworth for the Padres. But, you know, they kind of give them, it's kind of like a professional baseball boot camp. So you, reading down your list here, you've got uh, um, reaching on-field potential, dealing with media, how to handle situations in the clubhouse, drugs and baseball, inclusion and financial planning, um, and then players get to interact with each other um, around all those topics. Yeah. I know that's great. It kind of prepares people to, it's not just, yeah, you got to be able to play, but you also have to know how to be a professional and handle yourself. Yeah. So in these breakout sessions, they can have it with former big leaguers that will be able to deal with shit in the club, pardon my language, shit in the clubhouse. You know, something goes down, you're, you know, you're a prospect, you're like, I want to take a side to it. You know, they will show you how to navigate that. Because it's just like any you know any other workplace incident, you know, but it's a little bit higher level because mm-hmm. it's a professional baseball on how to deal with that. And you know, reaching on field potential could be like, dude, don't stay up till two in the morning. <laughs> you know, get plenty of sleep, eat. You know, getting those routines uh, on the road, 162 games a year. You know, and and you know maybe mitigating distractions and dealing with the media. We see a little bit of that with. Um, you know, my biggest example was uh, we talked to Mackenzie Gore last spring training. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he gave us the quote, dominate the day, which was just like. I was just wearing my T-shirt the other day. Oh, my God. It's podcast gold for us. But, you know, he's like, he was very del- he was very deliberate in his answers. Um, very open, had a good time, smiled. You know, he enjoyed himself. But, you know, he didn't go farther than, yeah, this is what I did. This is what I'm doing. Uh, you know, I want to dominate the day. I want to control what I control. He's already good at answering a question yeah. without answering yeah. a question. Um, and we really appreciate him for that. But if you're a new guy, you might say something that might just slip because it just that's you don't know any better. And well, and there's that social media too. Yeah. So I I was just talking to Blake Hunt the other day, and uh, and he talked about social. So he just turned 21, and he's been told by the Padres that if you're out, you. Social media, you can share what you want to share. It's on you, but you need to represent yourself as a professional because your name means something, that you represent the Padres organization everywhere you go. So be mindful of what you do. If you're out somewhere, that's fine. Don't show a picture of yourself with a drink in your hand. Right. And so, and the the juxtaposition of this, this week the Major League Baseball lost Don Larson, who yeah. pitched the only perfect game in World Series history and he's a native San Diegan, lived his life here in San Diego. Uh, and I didn't know this about him until reading his, his the articles people were writing. Yeah. Apparently, he was a big-time boozer that Mickey Mantle said that he could drink him under a table, no question. He's the, you're the biggest drinker he ever saw. And it affected his, his, his career. But back in the day, you didn't have the media that was always looking for something, looking for somebody to throw under the bus or yeah. somebody to you know put up on the, the story. It's a story. It's it's clicks yeah. now. Back then, it was back then you got drunk with the with the with the writers in at yeah. the bar, and all that stayed at the bar. Yeah. So there were things that they could say, like the whole uh, when Reggie um, Reggie. 
Reggie, Reggie, Reggie Jackson. Yeah, Reggie said Jackson. Said the thing about the straw that stirs the drink. Yeah. And that quote went out. Apparently, he didn't think that that quote was going to go anywhere because they were just out at the bar having a conversation just between two people, not a, a player and a press on right. the record. Right. That there was a there was a strong demarcation there, and that is gone now. So they have to be careful about how they how they behave, how they portray themselves. Absolutely. Uh, so that's going on. That'll be uh, from tomorrow till Friday, and that's kind of cool. So, like I said, Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino, Jake Cronenworth, Edward Oliveras, and Taylor Trammell are all going to be there. All those guys will probably be up. Yeah, uh, you've got to figure at some point this year. Everyone, even you know, I, I like seeing Edward Oliveras because there's. We just talked about the outfield. There's another guy added into the outfield. Yeah, well, he's on the forty man, so he's he's a step away. Yeah. Okay. Before we uh, put. Uh, before we send you off to a Josh Emmerich, um, friend of the podcast, friend of the podcast, Ethan Skender, um, is a special guest along with Pirates minor leaguer Luke Mangieri on a night at the ballpark. It's a fundraiser for Advocates for Access. It's a nonprofit organization managed by and for people with disabilities, providing services to empower individuals to attain independence. This is independent living skills, information and referrals, uh, peer support groups. Um, an equally important difference in their philosophy is they do not direct consumers. They do they not make decisions for them. They give them the information and they let them make their own decisions. Uh, this is being held at the yard, the yard Peoria in Peoria, Illinois, January nineteenth. Tickets are fifty bucks or five hundred bucks for a table of ten. There'll be hors d'oeuvres, a silent auction featuring sports memorabilia, a Q and A. Last year they had Ben Zorbrist. Uh, I'm going to put a link to how you can support this. I, you know, if you're in the Peoria area, absolutely go. Uh, I suspect that not everyone's going to be in the Peoria area and will be able to attend. Hey, Mister, maybe Mister and Mrs. Jack Sawinski are uh, are out there listening. They could, maybe we'll tag them on this. Yeah. See if they can go. Um, I will put in the uh, in the notes uh, the link where you can support. But it's a great it's a great cause. I saw it today, and I wanted to mention that for our friend Ethan Skinder. That's fantastic, and you know Ethan Ethan's a great guy, yeah. and that's nice to hear that he's supporting some causes in his local area. Uh, before we move on, I did want to highlight, so today, Baseball America, well, I don't know if it was today, but recently, uh, Baseball America published their top 10 Padres prospects, and this is something that I always look forward to. Yeah. So the top 10 in order, and there really aren't any surprises no. here, Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino, C.J. Abrams, Taylor Trammell, Luis Camposano, Adrian Morajon, Andres Munoz, Michelle Baez, Gabriel Arias, Ryan Weathers. Um, and so uh, Kyle Glazer held a chat afterwards, and there's a bunch of really good insight buried into the chat. Uh, part of that was that friend of the podcast, Joey Cantillo, yep. was uh, number 11 on the list, and the discussion was whether you list him or Weathers at number 10. They're kind of neck and neck right now, which kind of makes sense because Joey Cantillo was on the way up, and Weathers struggled a little bit in his first season of yeah. full of pro ball. I think Weathers is going to come back on a mission. Yeah. He's going to be good next year. Uh, but I wanted to point out the best tools part of this prospect list. So the best hitter for average, CJ Abrams, best power hitter, Luis Campusano, best strike zone discipline, Luis Campusano, fastest base runner, CJ Abrams, best athlete, CJ Abrams, best fastball, Andres Munoz, best curveball, Adrian Morajon, best slider, Luis Patino, best changeup, Joey Cantillo, Best control, Ryan Weathers. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. 
Best defensive catcher, Blake Hunt. Best defensive infielder and best infield arm, Gabriel Arias, no surprise. Uh, and best defensive outfielder, also best outfield arm, Michael Geddes. Absolutely. So with uh, going back to Ryan Weathers, he had because he started the year with a 94-96 fastball. Yep. It, it spent a little time on the DL, like a week, came back, apparently fully healthy, with significant loss in velocity. Right. And still didn't do too bad, and at times dominated. Yeah, and all anybody um, said was that it was kind of a dead arm thing. Yeah. And so it's really going to be a big thing when he comes back. He's in Peoria right now. I think they're having a little mini camp. I'm seeing a lot of stuff on social media. People are flying over into into Arizona where um, they're going to get some eyes on him and see where he's at. Um, I think he'd be just fine. Well, when you're – he was drafted out of high school. And so the year before, he played a full high school season. He went and played some pro ball, and he looked okay. But it's it's a whole different thing when you've got spring training and you're working every single day. Yeah. And then you finally go out to full season ball and every single day you've got a bullpen, you're working out, you've got this and that. There's a lot of fatigue there. Yeah. So if your body's not used to that, and Ryan, the guy's a natural athlete. I know he's a pudgy looking kid, but he was a really good basketball player, yeah. like all state level basketball player. And the guy's an athlete regardless of what his physical condition looks, maybe he's just the guy that could roll out of bed and do every, everything. So now you got to do everything for six months out of the year. Your body just at some point says, okay, that's enough. I need, yeah. I need, time, I need out. time out. Because time when out. he came back here after fall instructs and came here for the Don Welke Classic, he was sitting 93, 94 again. Yeah. Yeah. The velocity was back. So I think this year he's going to carry a new outlook on conditioning and he's going to be stronger it's going to carry him through the season and he's flying through with his titans beating the new england patriots in the playoffs bicka, bicka, bicka. Oh, yeah that's a big surprise that was a huge surprise my brother i texted my brother and he's like oh my god i can't believe it i'm like neither can we lydia's livid she's so happy she can't stand that guy but we get way off the beaten track how about you tell us about your uh, friend dr travis ehlers well dr travis ehlers 14 years in the business like i you know i just got adjusted uh, last week um, God, you know, I'm getting back to work. I'm getting back to the gym. Uh, I needed to get adjusted. He did me up real good. You have to give him a call. He's, he works out with guys at the, uh, the Olympic training facility. He goes to the NFL combine every year. Absolutely. Works for local athletes. Give him a call at 844-627-4763. I'll go to drtravisehealers.com. That's D-R-T-R-A-V-I-S. E-H-L-E-R-S. Takes all insurances. He takes my insurance. Um, he'll hook you up and uh, get you right. So and stay here tuned. here is Donovan with Josh Emmerich. Well, we were here with Josh Emmerich, the supervisor of the West Coast Scouting for the Padres. And... An old friend's son, son of an old friend. Jim Whiteman is a friend of mine that I played baseball with in the, in the rec leagues in about 10, 15 years ago. And he had a son named Josh who was in the minor leagues. And now he's a scout for the Padres. And 10 years later, he's, uh, he's pretty high up in the scouting organization. Scott, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? Doing really well. Uh, so you're a local boy. Yeah, local boy. Grew up in, uh, grew up in North County in Vista. Went to uh, RBV and uh, yeah, don't no longer live in North County, but have strong roots there. And now I live in Orange County, but uh, very tried and true to to San Diego and everything it brings. 
So living in Orange County, is that close for you to kind of run around, or how does your how does that work? Yeah, it's it's more like uh, it keeps me more centralized. So what I got to do, go to an airport, and the the the, the region I got to supervise lets me get around quicker and keeps me more centralized. So what I got to do. So what is your region? Uh, pretty much, it's the West Coast. It's uh, everything from Colorado, pretty much west. That includes like Idaho, Montana, uh, Washington, Hawaii, everything on the West Coast. So it's all me. That is sweet. So, well, you didn't go to scout. My next question was about scout school, but you didn't go to scout school. You went. So, tell us a story about your the ending of your career. You were I, the kind of cool thing is you were drafted by the Expos. Yeah, I was drafted by the Expos, the Montreal Expos out of high school. It was like uh, going through that process. I didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of traffic. It's a lot different now compared to what it was then. And uh, kind of, you know, the scout showed up and he's like, you know, I'm so-and-so with the Montreal Expos. We like you, this and that. Uh, draft day comes. They didn't really know anything about it. Uh, I come home that day and he's like, you know, this is so-and-so. We draft you the Montreal Expos. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know, but what does that mean? <laughs> and then uh, a couple of days later, you know, he called again. And he's like, this is this and this is that. And uh, next thing you know, I'm out in Jupiter, Florida, and I'm, nice. I'm right into the trenches of minor league baseball. So... How long were you in the Expos organization before either they folded or they moved to to Nash uh, for to, to the nation's capital? Yeah, I was in the I was in the, their minor league system for six years. Um, the first five was with the Expos, and then my the sixth year they changed over to the Washington Nationals. Okay, and uh, kind of a, a lot of things were changing in the organization in terms of there's a lot of moving parts. There was no real like solid foundation at the time because. Um, contraction type rumors going on right. ownership stuff there's a lot of things going on so uh it was kind of a i guess a worrisome time in terms of what was going to happen in the future but i guess as a player you're supposed to worry about what was going on, on the field right and not worry about what's going <laughs> off the field but uh yeah at the time it was just you know it was kind of crazy because there's just like a whirlwind of moves going on when uh the owner sold and moved on and we we're kind of just lost in limbo and like hey major league baseball owns you and now you're going to move here and you do this. And that was kind of the, the marching orders at the time. Right. And you're like, okay. So, you know, back when you got drafted, there wasn't Twitter. You know, did, you know there wasn't even barely cell phones back then. How was draft day? What, what, what round did you, were you drafted in and how did that go? Yeah, there was no, there was no Twitter. There was no internet, really. Uh, draft day was honestly just like any other day for me. I went okay. to school that day. Um, I came home. Uh, there was a... Uh, there was a message left on my answer machine from the, the local area scout for the team, and he told me, hey, congratulations, you've been drafted by the, the Expos in the 17th round, blah, 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 and uh, yeah, I'll be in, in touch with you here soon. And I was like, okay, but I didn't really know what that meant. I, didn't, I had no idea what minor league baseball meant, what any of the wow. whole structure meant. It was just kind of like I was very naive to the, whole, the, the, the situation and the whole process at the time. So it was kind of just like, okay, cool, I got drafted. What does that mean? The next step. So. Well, you know, and it's funny, and we keep talking about your minor league career, is is now everyone knows. Like even, I mean, there's, we're a podcast that covers a minor league system. I know, I know exactly how you guys get drafted. I know exactly where you guys go. I know exactly how that happens. And I think, uh, you know, high school, college players, they know how their draft works. Um, you know, everyone's draft day is different. And a lot of times it is. Like, I talk to a lot of guys, and they're like, oh, I was... We were at Chipotle, and I got a phone call, and, you know, it was the third day or whatever. Um, but it's funny how you're kind of like the last, that last group of players that didn't get a cell phone. You know, it was like, leave a message at the beep, beep, 
and this is uh, exposed. We're going to hire you. You know, we're going to draft you now. Um, that's fascinating. So then, how did your career end? My career ended. Fast forward. <clears throat> fast forward, like seven years, I ended up signing a, a six-year minor league free agent deal with the San Francisco Giants with the spring train with them in 2007. Uh, spring training went pretty well. And then at the end of spring training, I was catching probably, I think it was like two days before we broke camp. Uh, I was catching and uh, I went to block a curveball from a, le- you know, a right-hand pitcher to a left-hand hitter. I blocked it, had my head down, and he overswung and hit me in the back of the head. Ended up ah. receiving a concussion. Uh, that concussion led me to stay behind after camp broke. And I was in extended spring training. I think I was 20, I think I was 26, 27 at the time. And I kind of, you know, I've been around a little bit, so I kind of knew what was going on. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, like this is going to happen, that's going to happen, and stuff didn't end up happening, and kind of just got frustrated at the time, and it was like, you know, I think kind of saw the writing on the wall. I was never like a high-end prospect. I, I, I right. knew what was, what was coming. Right. If I was, was going to make it to the big leagues, it was going to be on my defense. It wasn't on my hitting, <laughs> for sure. So I was just like kind of weighing things out, and I decided it was just time to move on, you know. You, you know, there is a market for defensive catchers. Yeah, you know, if I would have known that now, like <laughs> the, the good old saying, if I, I wish I would have knew now what I know then or whatever, how it goes is uh, probably would have stuck it out for a little longer. But, you know, at the time, you know, being where I was, is I thought it was the right decision. It was time to move on and get away from baseball and try and figure out who I was going to be and what the next step was. So what was that next step, and how long was it before? before the ending, you know, before you ended your minor league career, before the Padres called you and said, hey, offered you a job. Were you going to go to college? What were you going to do? Or how did that happen? Oh, man, that was, uh, so I went home and I had, I had no idea. You know, I was kind of just like chasing my tail around for a little bit. I did some odd jobs here and there. And uh, I was talking to my parents. And uh, my dad was a mechanic growing up and we had an affiliation for cars. And so he's like, there's this opportunity to go to this trade school to learn how to build, you know, cars and hot rods and stuff. And I was like, that, yeah, I'm in. Let's go right. try that. You know? Right. Because at the time I was like, I was very, um, me and baseball weren't, weren't getting along and I, I wasn't really happy with her at the time. So I went up to, uh, I went up to Sacramento. I moved up for a year and I just went to, the, you know, in, in uh, kind of dove into this school and learned everything I could about, you know, how to build hot rods from scratch and chassis and TIG weld and MIG weld and Damn. You know, how to build a C notch and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, I was into it, man. I was really into it. And I was like, I'm just going to go the hot rod route. I'm going to do this. And at the time there was like kind of things going on with like uh, chip foos. Like I'm going to be on TV and this and like, that's kind of like, that's right. my angle I was going to go for. Right, right, right. So I, you know, I go there, I come back, I graduate, I come home, I get a job here in Escondido at a, at a hot rod shop. And I ended up working there for about a month and realizing like I, I, I was there for a month just doing like, you know, the, the bottom. Tack wells or yeah, whatever. Yeah, man, just the bottom of the barrel work, you know. And I got my paycheck, my first paycheck and I was just like, this ain't for me, you know right, what I'm right. saying? So uh, I went home and uh, <clears throat> kind of did some soul searching a little bit. And I was like, at that time, like baseball started like creeping back to like, this was my calling, you know, this is things I've been loving for since I was a kid. I made a phone call to my uh, agent at the time, and I was like, hey, I need to get back into baseball. Like, what, what can I do? And he's like, do you want to play? And I was like, no, nah, I don't want to play. Like, I know that, that, that road had passed. He's like, you want to coach? I'm like, yeah, I don't want to tra-. Like, in my head, I was like, I don't want to travel that much. He's like, what about scouting? I'm like, what, what does that mean? You know, and he's like, oh, you know, like, well, let me hook you up with this guy, and you go talk to him and, you know, see if that road leads to anything. And, you know, two weeks later, I go and meet this dude, and I end up, the next thing I know, I'm a – I'm an associate scout for the Colorado Rockies at the time. Okay. So, all right. All right. So who is that dude? 
That dude was uh, John Lukens. Okay. And at the time that... Uh, <laughs> we, that, we like throwing names around here. Yeah, yeah. At that time, I was, uh, that was the time we were, they were looking at Nolan Arenado. Okay. So I uh, got, to, got to get around him a little bit and kind of get my feet wet and understand what was going on in terms of scouting. Like, you know baseball, but when you come into scouting, you need to understand how to um, convey your thoughts and what you're seeing on the field and convey right. it to people right. and, and paper. So it was kind of learning all that stuff. Real quick sidebar, was Billy Epler in that uh – was he in the organization back then with the Rockies yet? I don't. Might have been a little before his time. You know, I, I it may have been. I, I was so oblivious to what I just like. Right. All I knew was John. Like, hey, John. Like, <laughs> I don't even care, man. Just like, get me involved. Okay, so then you're an associate scout with uh, with the Rockies. What was your What was your area? We just said Southern California. Oh, Southern, right. Yeah, okay. my hometown, Southern California, like Orange County down. Okay. So that was about it. Then went. So you're an associate scout for the Rockies so for how many seasons? Oh man, so. So when I first got started, he was like, you know, this is going to be, you know, you love it? I'm like, yeah, I love it. He's like, okay, this is going to be like a four or five-year deal where before you get a job. And I go home and be like, there's no way this is going to take this long. Like, I played, you know, I have too much experience and I, like, I know too much. I was like, maybe cocky, borderline arrogant about it, but I was, I was confident about myself. Like, right, right, right. This is going to happen a lot faster. So it ended up taking a year. Um, it, that's not to mean it didn't come with some uh, ups and downs. but. Right. I think I ended up uh, I ended up going on like six or seven interviews for jobs before um, it ended up popping for me with the Padres. So that was six or seven interviews with teams, different what, teams. Yeah, different teams? it was all over the country. Whether it was in Florida, the Deep South, Northeast, Central California, Northwest, it was all over. I was just trying to get in. You know, right, what I'm right. Like you just got to do whatever to get in. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do it, man. So and, we, we just, we just, I just spent the past two days over at the Peebo at, at the, at the uh, you know, at the job fair for minor league baseball. And those baseball op guys talk about it. They're like, it's a long road. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. For sure. You know, and, and, and you're not going to come, right. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to come on and, and be a general manager today. Today you're going to be the office guy. But when you're the office guy, you're going to be pulling tarps and doing whatnot as a, as a scout. You're going to start in the very bottom as the associate, you, yeah, and you're going to be doing the, the dregs gonna, of the of, of the scouting world. You're going to get in your car, and you're going to go dig them up. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to go around and try and find the prospects. So. Okay, so let's get into that. So the Padres give you a true scout job. Yes. Yeah? And, and you, once again, you were still southern, southern California. Yeah, so my first, uh, my first area was the LA, L.A. area in 2010. Dude, how— how many stories start with like, yeah, I'm from Southern California. I've spent my whole entire career scouting the West Coast in Southern California. Uh, honestly, I don't know too many people that have that's been you know lucky enough to say that. Um, you know, do they call you a candy ass? I don't know. You're the scout. <laughs> candy ass. You never went to they the probably, Sally League, bro, in the summertime with like they probably, 90 degree weather and 90 degree humidity. <laughs> they probably do, but they don't say it to my face. Right, right, right. Or whatever. I, I'll take it. But yeah, you know, a lot of guys are like. Usually you talk to most scouts and, oh, I got my start in the south or I got my start in the northeast before right. I came out here. And it's like there's like a little stigma about Southern California because of the type of player that comes from out here. So, so yeah, go on. Um, I'm intrigued. <laughs> so it's like if you can cut your teeth in Southern California, you can cut your teeth. You can pretty much do scouting anywhere. Okay. For, for, was what I understood coming into it. Okay. And now that, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work in the industry for a while. It's like, yeah, if you can scout Southern California, Texas, or Georgia, or Florida, you can scout anywhere. So is it because of the amount of, of teams or amount of 
uh, the, quali- the, the amount of prospects and the quality of prospects. Uh, you get a lot of more higher end type prospects, and you have to separate them and learn how to separate them. Uh, to where some some areas don't have the quality of prospects. You know, maybe not the task of separating so much at the time. Right. But uh, I think in the more hotbed type areas, Southern California, Georgia, Texas, you get a lot more uh, qu- quality end type of prospects. And you got to learn how to how to separate and and understand what separation means. So what does separation mean? Separation means you, you, uh, <laughs> tools obviously separate, but I think more importantly, makeup separates and, okay. and know, knowing what, how a player, player is wired, what makes them tick, their passion for the game, uh, where they come from. More importantly, you know, the, the old adage, uh, the apple never falls too far from the tree. tree. So you got you got to do a lot of background work. Um, this finding those type, I think those type of little small separators really separate guys. Well, and so for, um, you know, you, one of the questions I have is like, so you're you're scouting guys, you're seeing curveballs, you're seeing sliders, you're seeing all this, all these tools. Uh, is there ever a, a time where you need to be recalibrated when you go like, hey, that guy throws a pretty good curveball, then maybe you go to a major league game or even a college game, you're like, oh, that's a really good curveball. Like, oh, that's- for sure. I think, uh, you know, your typical scouting calendar, you scout the, the amateurs in the, in the springtime, but also every calendar year you get big league coverage okay so at the end of the summer you get to go watch a big league team and i think that's a very good uh very good calibration uh, tool to use you go see like oh you know i thought this guy's curveball was an average curveball as a high school and you right. go see you go see a real like oh man i was off right. <laughs> i was way off you know what i'm saying well and that's one of the things about you know scouting and like you're seeing a kid 18 years old and you have to put that projection on him you gotta look at body type you gotta look at makeup you know makeup is he teachable is he you know, is he going to be able to handle failure? Is he going to be able to handle, you know, the long bus rides and what it takes, even if you're, you know, a, a day one or even day two guy? You Absolutely. Know? You got to put all those, you got you to measure all those variables and, and take them into context and kind of, you know, come up with a, a strong and solid hypothesis on to, to who you think this player is going to be in, you know, five to six years because it's going to take, it's a long road, as we said to the top, right. if you want to rock and roll. Rock and roll, yeah. <laughs> um, so you got you got to take all that stuff and you got to do your homework, man. You got to be, you know. I always tell people, uh, the, being a scout's probably one of the best things. You probably as a as a male that loves sports because you get to you know you, sports all the time. You get to be a yeah. poker player because you got to keep your cards close to the chest. Right. And you get to be a detective. Like who doesn't want to do those type of right, things? Right. 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 <laughs> so you get to like dig on information, keep your information close, and then obviously project players. Well, it, it, God, there was a bunch there we can unpack there, but um, so. God damn! I just lost my train of thought. So moving on to, you know, uh, the calibration, Southern California, the makeup with the player. So do you talk to the parents? Do you talk to? Obviously, you talk to the coaches. Um, how do you gauge a, a, a player from just like, you know, uh, here's a high school kid talking to a major league scout, and he's going to tell you exactly what you want to hear? Absolutely. Well, yeah, I'm hungry. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, or do you get guys that are like? I know I'm good. Uh, you know, how do you gauge how do you gauge bullshit? I guess you want to say that yeah, to yeah. Uh, you know to, to someone who's being earnest or maybe even. Yeah, I think I think it's important to uh, get around players. You know, um, if you want to use the references when you're like uh, you're, you're married, you know, you probably met someone that told you, "Hey, your wife is this and that or whatever." But 
you want to know for yourself. So therefore, you go about a conversation. You get around these players. You understand them as people. And you get that natural vibe you feel from yourself. Now, when okay. you go talk to other people, you got to understand that they have a skin in the game. They know the person. They're probably not going to talk bad about them right. for the most part. Right. So you got to kind of sift through the information they're giving you and kind of take what you think is tangible and what's not and understand and put that into the puzzle to your hypothesis or your, your uh, projection of the player. But I think more importantly, it's, it's time spent. You know, any relationship is that's worth having is all about time spent. And the more times you can get around a player and understand a player, the family, you get a better feeling for who they are and what they're about to be. Okay, so then you, you, you scout for several years, and let's talk about some of those early players maybe that you scouted that, that made it, that washed, or any of that we may be familiar with back in the day. Back in the day. So uh, 10 years ago, I'd say like – um, Aaron Sanchez was the guy my first year I scouted. Christian Yelich was the first guy. Okay. One of the first. And I think with Christian, it was like you understood right away like he could hit. Like he had a very pure swing. He was very athletic. He could run. He could do a lot of things. And then as you dug in, you know, to his, his background and who he was, you found out that, you know, he came from a very athletic family with his, 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 his dad and stuff. And, and then you meet with him and you understand he just had a – he had an utter confidence in his ability that wasn't fake. And right. when he talked to me, it was like there was no fakeness about Christian. It was like he right. understood that he was good. He knew he was good, and he was going to be good. And I think when you when you talk to him and you understand, and you just you're around him, you can feel that. You, the you, genuine, yeah, the yeah, honesty the genu- and genuinity, genuinity about it. Yeah. And when you're around someone, you can feel like yeah, is it earnest or what is it fake? What is this guy? But when you're when you're around him and you talk to him, you're like, yeah, this guy's like you believe this guy's going to be good, and you, right. and you could go right. tell your people like I believe in this kid, like. We should take this guy. And you can also kind of sense the eyewash. They're like, ah, he's trying to tell me whatever I want yeah, to hear. Yeah, you go into a player's house, and you, in a minute, you know, within three three minutes, you could tell, okay, this is a show. Right. Like they're putting on a show for me. Right. So the rest of the time, you're trying to, like, figure out, okay, like, why are they putting on a show? What are they hiding? Right. You know, and as you dig into it more, and you get into it, you're like, okay, this, this person's insecure. This, this family's insecure. Um, they're not very confident in their ability. You know, they, they got to do this or that, whatever the case may be. So it's, it's all about, honestly, it's about people reading. You know? Right. You know, right. how comfortable you are in people reading. If you're good at it, you're good at it. and not, you're not. You know, we all make mistakes because we've all made mistakes on people, friends we've had or relationships, whatever you might have. Yeah. But at the time, you just go in there and you try to have a, a, an open mind and be subjective and just understand, like, kind of the situation you're walking into. Like, if it's a, you know, kid that comes from, you know, an upper upper end type class system or a lower end class system, just like the perspective they might have and what they might project on you coming right. in from an opportunity that might right. increase their, you know, their status. Absolutely. Um, with, and, and so, and with that, back then, there weren't all these showcases. There were like, you were going to maybe a playoff game or two, maybe a regional tournament, you know, maybe like the, like back in the day, it's, you heard in San Diego, it's the Lions tournament, right? Yeah. Do they even still have that here? I think so, man. Do you, I, do you guys, does any yeah, scouts we, go to it? Or yeah, are they, absolutely. Really? There's always guys, you know, that come in from uh, not only, you know, the San Diego area, Orange County, there's also players that come in from other parts of, uh, say, Arizona or, or Nevada. And uh, you got to see them because you're always trying to – a word we use in the industry is matchups. You're always trying to see the players against the best players because right. that gives you right. a better gauge of understanding, like, how they're going to compete. And that's ultimately what you want to figure out is, like, what kind of competitor is this person? 
some guys you like you go see them in their say like a vegas kid you go see him in his normal vegas league he's the, he's the biggest fish but like maybe he comes to the lions tournament and there's a couple guys and like you might see him crumble you might see him like you bulk up you never know so you're always trying to gauge ultimately what kind of competitor this kid is and that's a really good question that i had was like how can you tell when it's just a big fish uh in a in a small pond i think i think it's 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 ultimately watching what he does on the field, okay. but again, I think it ultimately relies on what he's off off the field and your and your interactions with him. You know, so now and now it is where you have the area code games. You have the perfect, perfect, uh, perfect game games, um, and you can really, it, it really the, the talent pool is just generalized. And even now, you can see like, okay, that guy's gonna go to the Padres. They got the eighth pick or the sixth pick. Like they, you know, they were telling. The national media were saying like the Padres are going to get this guy, and pretty much they end up getting that guy. Yeah. So it's almost where um, when, when you get the top picks, that it's pretty exact science, but in the same breath, it's an inexact science because you have your Donovan Tates, you have your your Bushes. I can't remember his first name. Matt Bush. Matt Matt Bush. You know from Mission. Yeah. And I, and I really believe that Matt Bush was kind of the first time where. Not just the potties, but I think teams as a whole started looking more at the makeup of a player than just the ability. So when did it really become looking more at just the tools and looking at the person in scouting? I think it's uh, – I can't speak for what people were doing back then, but I know that uh, for us and what we do, it's more about the person because okay. ultimately you got to know whether that person can get punched in the face and get back up on the horse, yeah. you know what I'm saying, yeah. or if they're not, you know. And um, – I think I think it's probably always been about the makeup because I think, in my experience, the makeup is the ultimate separator. Because I think in the big leagues, for the most part, you know, you have your you know your couple elite guys, most a handful of elite guys, but most part the tools are pretty comparable. Most part, but okay. I think the me- makeup is what separates dudes from being, you know, the, the average big leaguer to the above average big leaguer to the superstar. And you, you see these guys, and you talk, you know, you hear stories about them, like in, you know, like Mookie Betts or whatever. You hear some stories about Mookie Betts. And you just understand that their mentality is what takes them to the, is what exceeds their tools. Yeah. You know, a kind of a thing, you know, I talk about, you know, when we get amongst our group is that the makeup feeds the tools because the makeup allows you to come back every day to keep growing your tools to be a better player. That's a little scout jargon right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I don't know. But I, I, I really do believe that, like, if you have the makeup and you have tools and then the makeup's exceptional, the makeup will allow you to succeed and achieve and sharpen your tools enough to be successful. Yeah. So. You know, speaking of makeup and, and speaking of tools, uh, Blake Hunt. Did you scout Blake Hunt? Yeah, I did. Okay. Big fan of the podcast. Yeah. We love him. Great kid. We man. love his dad. Great kid. Great kid. We had him on our. We had him on this last season, and he talked about the mechanics. He talked about catching. It was fascinating yeah. for someone who doesn't know about, like, you catch the ball, okay, then you frame it, that's about it. He went into watching guys, how they, what pitches they took, what pitches they swung at, what pitch, how they took their on-deck hacks. Yeah. Like, he went into a clinic on catching, and he's maybe 20 years old. Yeah, he's, he, was, uh, he was very advanced for, you know, a high school guy. And, you know, talking to him, you could tell he's very intelligent, which is very important. Yeah. And he studied the game, and he knew what was going on. And I think as he came, you know, you come into the system, we have a great catching guy in Riley Westman 
who, who enhances their abilities and, puts, and exposes them to more information and allows them to expand on that knowledge and, and, yeah. and increase their capacity about catching. And I think when you have a guy like Blake who has not only a natural ability but intelligence for the position, it allows him to... Uh, more jargon, intelligence for the position. Yeah, intelligence for the position. <laughs> I think it allows for exponential growth in terms of being a better player and reaching to what he, his capacity can be. Right. Well, so even, so, so even now he's a, he's a catcher. Yeah. He's a little thin. He's working on his catching. Yep. With a guy like that, if catching isn't, you know, if catching doesn't, if he doesn't make it in catching, I think you can put him somewhere and he has the makeup and the attitude and the drive to become an outfielder. Wow, the first you're talking about scout jargon. Jargon. You're talking about what'd you say? Makeup, uh, aptitude, work well, ethic. Well, I, those know, are I, those are all key ingredients. I'm around a lot of minor league baseball. <laughs> I, I hear these things. And I pick them up and somehow I can spit them I back can out. Tell. I can tell. Um, but is that is that is that some of the things that you can do in you know in in you know late in their careers is you know change their direction of their career. So like you have Austin Allen, who's um, who you guys have done everything. You asked every year, and this is having the podcast two years now and following his career. Every year, it's like, okay, you need to work on your blocking. He comes back in the off season, comes back, worked on his blocking. Okay, you need to work on your pop times. Okay, you need to work on this, and he checked every one of those boxes. Um, yet he's a six four catcher. Yeah, and there are not many six four catchers in the league mm-hmm. that are elite, or you know, as a Salvador Perez or so. But you know. Why? Why not? You know, he's he's since been traded, but why not? You know, at a time where okay, he's gonna be, he's doing everything we want him to do. Maybe we can move him to another position where we can add more value, or that he can be more value to the team, and then instead of just kind of keeping him at catcher. Yeah, I think it's like we really liked his ability. From what I understand, his ability to catch, and I yeah. thought, I think that we think we can, he can develop as an everyday guy, or you know, his, he has, still has ceiling to being a catcher. And I think that there's more value to being a left-handed hitting catcher with power, like he yeah. was, than there is to try and expand him and trying to put him in another position. So I thought um, they're probably just trying to uh, extract all the, all the potential out of him from yeah. that position. Unfortunately, you know, in every you know it's situation, it's a business, and right. there's 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 guys with maybe a little more priority than him at the time, and, and bats weren't there for him or whatever the case may be. But I think Austin Allen did everything he could to put himself in the right position and. You know, I think uh, he has a good opportunity in front of him yeah. to, to showcase what he can do, and I think he'll be, I think he'll be successful. Definitely in an American League, uh, an American League team, he's gonna get a lot of at bats. Yeah, I was talking to the Ace Cast guys today. I'm like, he's gonna hit, dude. He's gonna hit. Like, yeah, you're gonna love swing. him. Um, also, the, one of the funny things is following him uh, in in Fort Wayne. Like I'd listen to and watch some of these games, listen to the games, and you know some of the things in minor league baseball—they're very fun, they're very outgoing. You know, they're just kind of quirky. So I don't know. There's some audio in some movie, and I can't—I think it's a cartoon movie where it's Alan, 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 Alan. So you would hear on the, you know, you hear watching the game, number twenty-four, Austin Allen, and then you hear the guys up, Alan, <laughs> Alan, and it's some movie. <laughs> But I used to love hearing that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, my God, I love that about minor league baseball. But, yeah. you know, and it's Austin Allen. Yeah. Um, moving on. to So so let's move on to, you know, on to some more players that, that, that we've drafted out of here to the West Coast. Let's see. We've had, um, well, I want you to tell the Austin Hedges story. Okay. So, uh, so 2010, my first year scouting, I come down to San Diego for uh, my draft meeting 
and nervous as all. <laughs> I, be, I even cut myself shaving that morning because I was so nervous. <laughs> and I walk in, and my, my superiors are like, geez, what are you trying to do? You're like, you're trying to get out of this meeting? But anyways, so I go down, come down, do my meetings, do that thing, and then on the way back up to L.A., they're like, hey, you know, there's a game going on at San Clemente High School. There's, you know, it's a CIF championship game. There's this prospect we're looking at the time. And by the way, there's this catcher playing for next year, 2011. Uh, go ahead, go by and see what you think, you know. So I walk into San Clemente, you know, you know, whatever. I go there and I just, I, I walk in, I think it was the second inning, and I just watch the warm-ups. And I'm watching this kid, I'm like, wow, he does it. He makes the hardest position look easy. Yeah. He's so smooth, and his transfers were so quick, and his feet were so fast, and his hands were like, were just so soft. It was like, who is this guy? And then, um, so I watched for a couple of innings. He good, I think he got two knocks that day, actually. He had a double and a, a single up the middle or whatever, but uh, really impressed, you know, and I was like excited. I was like, wow, look at this guy. This guy's, you know, I was a catcher myself, so I was like, wow, this guy does, does a lot of things really good, you know. <laughs> so I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> so I go home that day and I'm, you know, call my superiors, like, yeah, I saw him. Like, I like this guy. I like this guy a lot. A um, couple things, you know, work out, and things work out where I, I end up getting the job down in San Diego and Orange County. They're like, hey, will you move back down? to San Diego, I'm like, absolutely, you know, and, and Austin Hedges ended up being in my area, and uh, the more I just went and saw him, the more I, just, I fell in love with him, because he, yeah. he, he could, he, he, like I said, he, can, he makes the hardest position look easy. Real quick, so who, so who did you go see, who were you going to go see, yeah. and then that kind of leads to my next question as well, is like, have you done that before, you go to go see one guy, and you're just telling me, answering the question right now, but... You go to see one guy, and you're like, but there's this other guy here. Yeah. Does that happen a lot? Uh, it doesn't happen a lot, but I'll tell you what, those are one of the, the best days of scouting. Because uh, I think the, the answer to your first question, I believe the kid's name was, uh, I believe his name was Hunter Jones. I could be wrong. Okay. He went from San Clemente to Oregon, and he was a physical guy, athletic, but I believe his name was Hunter Jones. Um, and then uh, the second question yeah, when you when you go to like you're focusing on a guy like I'm gonna go see this guy Donovan, right? And you, go, right. you go to the field and blah blah blah. You're like you're focused on this guy, but then this dude out of the nowhere is like, who's that guy? He's moving, he's athletic, he runs, he's hitting balls hard, he's doing stuff like this or whatever. And you're like, those are the those are like one of the funner funnest days of scouting. It's like when you when you when you find something unexpected, and you're like, right, who's that guy? Right. Like I don't you know I want to see that guy. I want to go back and see this guy Donovan. Right. You know? So. Those are like those are some of the gems in terms of scouting days. So, so now you're direct. So, so what's what's so who is your boss now? Is it is it Logan or is it Sam or is it Stanovich? No, at the time it was uh, my scouting director was uh, Jaron Madison, who's now with the Cubs. Okay, and uh, that was with uh, Jed Hoyer and the Jed uh, Jason McLeod regime when they were okay. There. All right, so so you've been through a few organizations several yeah, kind I mean, of front offices a couple, couple changes here and there um have you seen through different uh organizations different organizational philosophies absolutely um obviously you know aj comes from the scouting background so yeah. he must is is aj the scouts general manager he's like AJ, he's the, aj is awesome man he he for one he loves scouting he's, yeah. he has a big passion yeah. for scouting he has a big passion for players he loves the game and i think more importantly he empowers the scout he empowers the scout to do his job. He empowers the scout to go uh, whatever you whatever you need to do your job. Right. He allows, you know, right. whether that's I got to go on the road for you know 24 days and stay at this and this. Like whatever, just you know, do your job and do it to a high high level. And I think when um, when he came over here, it was kind of a change in philosophy in terms of 
maybe looking at things in different ways. But honestly, I think he's empowered us to uh, do a lot of things different, but also and he's increased our capacities to be better scouts in, the, in terms of how okay. we look at players and how we go about uh, acquiring players. Well, and so how, and I don't, this isn't a negative, positive thing, but how in different organizations is there different philosophies? Are there different skill sets are they looking to look at? Are they more maybe high school guys trying to go lower, you know, lower pay in the, in the, in the draft? Or, you know, you can burp. That's okay. No, we're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> you know, is it like that? Can you talk about that a little bit? A little yeah, bit? I think I think I just think that guys have different philosophies on how how teams are built and how organizations are built. Um, I think uh, when I first came here, there you know there was more of a philosophy on like I, I would call it probability on guys getting to the big leagues. Okay. And I think with what's fun about you know the current regime is it's more about high end ceiling. You know, let's it's, it's a, let's let's get the guys going to be superstars. You know, right. whether right. risk or reward, whatever. Let's let's, right. let's shoot for it and let's go for it. But I think also with that, it's like you got to do your homework and make so it lessens the risk. If you, the more you know about a person, the more you can bet on a person. You know, right. So the more the more uh, information you have off the field, the makeup wise, whatever the case may be, and you and you have conviction in that player, I think it makes it. Uh, I think it's a less risk because if you, you've done your homework and you yeah. have. It's like a stock, right? Right. You go right, to right. the stock, you, you're looking at the CEO and what they've done every quarter and this or that. Yeah. Or if you go buy a house, you're looking at, okay, it's a great house, but what's the plumbing look like? What's the foundation? Right. What's the wiring and this and that? And I think when you do that, as a, when you're scouting as a player, you do all that information, like you're going to make a good investment. And I think, I think we've done that a pretty, you know, pretty solid job of that since, um, since AJ's been here, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And we got way off topic. Cause now I just remember we're talking about the Austin Hedges story. Oh. So jo- jo- Josh and I, circling back to the, to, to, to the story, I- I've known you for a long time. And, yeah. and, well, I've known, I've known your dad for a long time. And, and, and keeping up with, with you and, and your, your relationships, uh, you know, he's like, oh, man, he's met this great girl. You know, and then like a year later, I'm like, so, hey, how's Josh? He was like, ah, oh, you know, he's still with the Padres, but uh, it didn't work out. And, you know, I we all go through relationships. Yeah. Um, you finally met a girl that is the right one. Yeah, she's awesome. And tell me about that and who married you guys. Yeah, so uh, it was 2013. Jim told me the story, so you got to <laughs> tell the story. Uh, yeah, so it was like 2013. And uh, after, every, after the draft every year, there's a PG national event. And uh, at 2013, I believe, it was in Minnesota. That's a perfect game national perfect event, correct? Yeah. You get everybody from all over the country, and they come and, you know, they run the whole gamut or whatever. And uh, like one of my good buddies at the time, he was, he was seeing a gal, and, we, you know, just talking to his buddies. Like, yeah, you know, he has this friend. She has this friend, and blah, 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 and she seems great, whatever. And I was like, I didn't think anything at the time. But for whatever reason, we were up there, and I was like, hey, well, you know, what do you got on this person? And he's like, yeah, let's, let's call her up or whatever. And I'm like, okay, you know, so – kind of called her up and you know things just kind of steamrolled from there you know she was she was very genuine and she ultimately she like loved baseball she had a, a softball playing background so she understood the game nice and uh she kind of understood what was going on and she actually she can scout she scouts pretty much you know i take her with me here and there and she, I, I love taking her with me because she has a very unbiased opinion she just gave me like this is what i saw like you can't fix that or you can't fix this and she understands how the body works and how sports work and how hands like it's it's crazy i take her and she's like my she's like my deciding factor so like i can't figure out this player come with me and all right give me an unbiased opinion. I'm like, okay i'm gonna go with it you know well and you're pretty tight with aj so you're like okay all right so does aj go like okay what's your wife's name uh brianna so okay 
does Josh, you like him, but how does Brianna think? Well, you know, Brianna, here's, <laughs> you, you turn into scouting reports yeah, to AJ, yeah, yeah. like, hey, there's this hers, this is what I like, this is what she thinks is maybe. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, yeah, AJ's met her a couple times, so, like, maybe it's come up a couple times with my, definitely my scouting director, Mark Connor, who uh, knows me and my family. Yeah. He, uh, he definitely asked, like, hey, what does Brianna got, you know, and whatever, like, he's like, <laughs> this is what I got, and he's like, that's a pretty good breakdown. Maybe we should hire her, you know, <laughs> like, stuff like that. But so, how do you feel about women in this in the scout scouting in you know in, in scouting? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm for it, man. Whatever, you know, if if you can make the game better, you can bring yeah. something to the game to make it better. Absolutely, I don't care, you know, what who you are or what you are. It's like you well, got if you if you can impact the game, you can impact the game. Right, a- absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's funny talking about your wife. My wife goes like every time I like for this, I'm supposed to go talk to AJ Preller. You know, be in this room, yeah, yeah. and and she always goes, well, tell 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 him I want to be a scout. I want to be a scout. Like I found that in in my wife, and we're going to have wife chat now with Josh Emmerich from the Padres. Um, how did I find out about this player? Is someone else told me like, oh, you got to meet Liddy. She loves baseball. Yeah. And years later, I, I, I hear this woman yelling at the end of a dinner table because we're all friends. And I'm like, who are you? She's like, I'm Lydia. Who are you? I'm like, I'm Donovan. I don't know you. And then we just, you know, she fell in love. We fell in love. She was a big baseball fan. Yeah. So it's funny. I'll come home sometimes from work and be like, ah, beat. She's like, we're going to the game. I already got us tickets. We're going. Like, get ready. Like, we got to go now. Yeah. And for a second, I'm like, oh. oh well, hold on. My whole life, I've dreamed of a woman that has loved baseball. <laughs> you know, my whole life has been like, I'm going to the game because you don't want to go to like, like I'm getting dragged to the baseball game, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I'm a baseball freak. Well, that's fantastic. So, getting back to the story, let's just tell it. Who married you? So, who married me? Uh, long story short, was uh, Austin Hedge's dad, Charlie. Um, going through that process of scouting him, I became very close with Charlie. We had a lot of, uh, we connected on a lot of different avenues besides baseball. Uh, music, art, kind of different things. Uh, Charlie's very, very intelligent, uh, and he looks at things in a different way, and I thought it was very refreshing. And I, he, um, at the time, we were kind of getting our, our last processes about getting married, and I was like, I was talking to him right before I was getting married, and he's like, oh, you're getting married? I'm like, yeah, you know, we got everything pretty much in line, but we got to find a pastor and this and that. And he's like, you should let me marry you. And I was like, what? And he's like, oh, yeah, I went to seminary school back in the day. And I was like, I can marry you. And I was like, no way. And he's like, yeah, let's go meet. You know, have your fiance come meet me. We'll talk down. We'll see if it's a good fit. And uh, we went, met up in Orange County. We met. And I, I, I love Charlie, man. Charlie's a good dude. And as soon as my wife met him, she's like, yeah, that's the guy. And he, uh, man, as I think about it now, man, he knocked it out of the park. When he married Did us, he? He, he, he brought, you know, he brought his A game. He, his... His, his words and his, his delivery and cadence was just unbelievable. And it was, it was so fun. And to think about, like, just how it came, like, kind of full circle, I guess, in terms of, like, for me, that point, <clears throat> seeing Austin that day in San Clemente and just how it came, like, and I think it was, what, four or five years later, six yeah. years later, yeah. how, like, that came about. It was just, like, it was crazy. And it was, like, but ultimately, it's, like, that's what, that's what scouting is about. It's about building relationships. Right, right. If you, build relationships like that, if you can build a relationship like that with every player, yeah. you're going you're gonna to hit more than you miss. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Hey, that's interesting. In, 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 for following a lot of the minor league stuff and, and going to the PBO and listening to the seminar there and, and the executives in minor league baseball, they talk about it. It's, it's a family. It is. It's a small family. I was talking to one of the Lake Russell Storm guys that no longer worked there. He's at the PBO. And he's sitting around with two people like, oh, yeah, I worked with 
because she was with the Quakes, and so I knew her. And then, like, how'd you get hired? Oh, I knew this one guy that knew this guy that got me hired, and now that guy is my boss. And, and it's just, it's a small community. Absolutely. And, and it's a family. And, you know, it's, uh, it's an incredible thing. So what do you do to get – okay, that's enough baseball – Enough shop talk. Yeah. You like playing drums, you told me, before we get on the air. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've always been into music since I was, I don't know, like I, ever since I can remember as a kid. I, I think probably music was probably my first love growing right. up. Right. Who's isn't when you're a kid? Uh, yeah. When I discovered, I discovered music before I discovered baseball, so I was like, I remember my first money I got when I bought a Def Leppard tape was my first first thing I went Dude, to. Dude, you're to dating work. yourself, so yeah, that's yeah. okay. Go on. Yeah, so, I don't even care. Um but yeah, I went to the warehouse. Remember the warehouse? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> I went yeah. to bought. I think it was Def Leppard's "On Through the Night" was the first tape I bought. And uh, my uncle was a big music guy, and he played the drums. And I remember my dad would take me over there, and he'd always have a drum set, and I was always fascinated with it. And then he gave me a, he gave me a Les Paul, a Gibson Les Paul, but I didn't know what it was at the time, you know. And I oh my god, I, so I ended up taking it apart and just like just 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 demolishing it. Oh my and, and, and I just, oh, I dude. <laughs> Les Paul is now just turning over in his grave because yeah, you're like, you man. took my baby. Oh, and, and it, when I got older, I was like, you, you're so dumb. <laughs> what were you, you know, just not knowing what it was. But, uh, yeah, I, just, I, I love playing music. I've been playing guitar since I was about 13 years old. You know, I played in a band for a little while, and I play the drums, and I just I love music. Do other scouts – okay, so let's unpack a little bit of this too, and then we'll get you out of here. Um do other scouts play musical instruments? And do you guys in the Padre organization and in the community as a whole, is there like a scout band at the oh, dinner banquet dinner in January? I wish, I wish there was a scout band. That'd be great. Do you guys do karaoke or what? Yeah, I think there's a couple guys that like tinker with it here and there. I'm not sure if you guys are like serious or confident enough to go up there and, and do a gig, but uh, that'd be great, man, if there was people out there to play play a gig. That'd be cool. like a scout band. Be like, I don't know, you could be like two rats in a rosin bag or something like that could be, could, could be could be a band name or whatever but uh no i mean there's guys guys have different outlets and stuff most of the time it's golf honestly right. a lot of guys like to spend time with their families um and you know some guys have outlet different outlets and mine just happened to be you know my family guitar and i like to surf so just all kinds of different things to do so the drumming uh so you you, you bought on through the night what was the last concert you went to Oh man, uh, we just went to me and my wife just went and saw Chevelle, the band. Three, okay, three piece from Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I seen I seen him a yeah, couple they're, years, they're, several years back. We saw him in Irvine. It was the first time we went on a scene for a while. We went and saw him in Irvine, and they just blew us away. And happened, you know, two weeks later they're playing down here at the San Diego House of Blues, and I was like, boom, I was on it. I bought two tickets. Dude, nice. And we went and saw, and it was like they're, you know, um, there's something about musicianship and the timing and in. You can kind of correlate into into like a baseball team and just like yeah. everybody has to take care of their job in order for the sound to come out. Right. In order for a baseball team to win, everybody has to do their part. Right. So I, I don't I don't know if it might be a little crazy outlook, but I just enjoy the 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 teamwork of the musicianship along yeah. with the teamwork like watching baseball players. Right. But uh, live there's nothing better than live music, man. You get there and you just feel the energy and you feel the vibe and 
um, you know, you, they hit a you know a raw open power cord. It's just like yeah. something you just feel about <laughs> just, it. Just, just, you want to run through yeah, a wall. It's like let's go. So. You know, I, I I correlate that feeling to watching uh, well this last futures game with Mackenzie Gore on the mound. Oh man, how fun is that? But more because we talked to him several times before. But more so when Bettino came on. Yeah, man. And we were in Connecticut visiting How my... How those two to watch? Oh, my God. And they're both great, great friends. They are going to come to the Major League team. So kind and of circling back to the makeup, what do you think about them as people, you know, as their stuff? As, as, as people, I, I love Mackenzie's drive. I love he is focused. Um, he is a gentleman. Yep. Um, Hudson Potts, same thing. Hudson, yes, sir. Yes, sir. The, the drive, he's respectful. Yep. Um, you know, that guy is just oozing with talent. And he took the time to talk to me several times. You know, first in spring training. Uh, the other time when we were at Lake Elsinore, um, always gave me answers that, you know, didn't just give me eyewash answers. He gave me deep answers. And most of the time it was about how well he didn't do. Yeah. We're like, I think, like, you walked three guys in 60 innings, uh, Mackenzie. What do you want to talk about? How do you feel about that? Well, you know, it's three walks too many. Yeah. That's really bad, Mackenzie Gore. Uh, but great makeup. Same thing with Patino. You feel, you know, where um, where Mac is more the quiet leader. Yeah. St- stud. You get the stealth, Joker. Stealth killer. Stealth killer, dude. Yeah. And then you, you get this energetic, fun-loving kid. And you're like, oh, he, you know, on the out, you just look at him, oh, he must have be fun playing ball he must not be that good you know yeah, yeah. he's just enjoying his time yeah, yeah. and you see him get on the mound and a he looks exactly like Mackenzie Gore but right-handed yep. and then throws that bb yeah and you're like holy shit they throw darts man oh my god darts. and uh he's super sweet we've had him on the we've had him on the podcast a couple times and um what this organization has coming up and what you guys have built as, as you know, through the scout corps, and you, you guys are really the unsung heroes. That's one of the big reasons I wanted you on here is because the scouts, you guys are the ones that find the musician that make the music work. Um, yeah, I think, I think those guys are like the epitome of what we're trying to do here, you know. Yeah. Mackenzie, you know, and uh, Patino and Poss, those guys set a high standard of what we're trying to do here. Uh, the, the, a lot of the characteristics they carry are what we, we're trying yeah. to find and bring in. And I think if you you uh, cultivate those type of characters mm-hmm. that you're going to have something pretty special brewing, which I do think we have here. Um, and I think it's not going to be too, too much longer before you see uh, both those guys down here uh, right. it up for us. Right. So did real quick, and we'll get you out of here. Did you scout Joey Cantillo? I did. Nice. Yeah. Nice. We talked to him. We talked to Nick Margavichus. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he's a Chicago guy. Yep. Um, but we talked to Joey in the offseason. How, how killer is Joey, man? He's awesome, isn't he? He is super cool. Yeah, man. So what we've done a couple times with, uh, we did it with Mac, and we did it with, uh, with Luis, is for Lake Elsinore Storm, I had shirts made. So uh, during our interview with Mac, um, he said, you know, I, I only want to control what I can control and dominate the day. And when he said dominate the day, I just turned to Roy and went like, that's podcast gold. I mean, I was just like, yeah. holy cow. We made shirts. <laughs> I had shirts made that said Dominate the Day. and had a guy make them, you know, uh, someone, an artist on Twitter, uh, in the Padres Twitter community, and with his permission, used Dominate the Day, used his likeness with his with his uh, iconic, which will be soon, iconic leg kick. Um, Isn't it sweet how he, how he repeats that thing? Oh, my God. That's and awesome. I've, seen, I've seen four starts in person. Yeah. Um, and we sold the shirts, but we sold the shirts – 
and we gave the money to Lake Elsinore Booster Club. I'll get for you guys. So it took a long time for that to kind of happen this last offseason, so I got ahead of the game. I've talked to, we talked to Joe in the offseason. I was at his uh, home start up in – up in Inland Empire, okay. uh, Steve Peel from the Inland Empire. He's a double, He's the uh, assistant manager there. Uh, he loves the podcast, and he's friends with us. And he's sent, he I went up there, um, and we've talked to him several times, and we've already had a shirt ready for him when the season starts. And so we'll start selling that shirt. But all the money, I don't want to make any money from these guys. Yeah. Like, they already don't make enough money. But the money's going to go back into the booster club. And uh, it's just one of those cool things that we do for the podcast. That, um, that's awesome on your guys' You know, part, that, that kind of cool. gives back. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, Josh, dude, thanks for the time. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, reaching out and, and allowing me to do this. It's, uh, uh, like I said, I enjoy your guys' podcast and enjoy your energy and your love for the Padres, man. It's very cool. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, have a good night, and we'll talk to you soon, hopefully maybe sometime during the school, uh, the school year, during the, you know, during the season or some other time. Maybe now I have my, uh, my scout guy that I can talk to for the Padres. Yeah, man, reach out anytime. Merry Christmas. All right, thank you.